folks, and welcome back to Pretend World Real People. As always, I'm Tyler, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. It's nice and cloudy over here in Colorado, which means it's going to be a very relaxing walk for the puppers and I after I finish recording this intro. Uh, before we get to today's episode, I just want to say, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you don't even have to write anything. You can if you want to. I will give you a shout-out. That would be fantastic. Uh, but it only allows us to really further expand this show into a wider audience demographic, which means more guests and more episodes. Also, if you want to give us a follow on social media, our handle is at PWRP podcast. Super easy, super simple. And that's all the housekeeping I have for today. Now, you've seen this week's guest in a plethora of projects over the last 20 years, including but not limited to District 9, Doomsday, Happening Together, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Riverdale, and so many more. We sat down to talk about her start, her very dynamic origin story in this industry, including working and casting, seeing things from the other side, becoming an actress and finding a career there, and then moving into directing after she built a just amazing resume for herself. I, of course, am talking about the amazing Natalie Bolt. Now, this episode was almost like essentially the, the start of this podcast, you know, two artists sitting in the green room talking shop, and I learned so much just by sitting down with her for, for the mere, what, 50 minutes we were chatting. Uh, so I hope to have her back on the show at some point in the future. It was just an absolute joy. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to shut up and we'll get right into this interview because it is absolutely fantastic. Please help me in welcoming Natalie Bolt. <laughs> My name is Natalie Bolt. I am an actress and also writer and director, sometimes producer. Um, you would probably recognize me from Riverdale. I play Penelope Bolt, the villain, one of the villains <laughs> um, on Riverdale and otherwise known as Cheryl's mom. <laughs> <laughs> so my That's first... not that the same. <laughs> In my mind. Anyway. Well, my first question is always, what came first for you? When did you find an appreciation or a passion for the entertainment industry or just you know, a performing art in general? Um, I was very early um, to it. I was, uh, I am a middle child and so always looking for attention. Um, and I think the first time I danced, I was always a dancer, always interested in, in singing and dancing. So I probably like three. Um, and then you know, got more and more into that world. And I think while I was dancing and doing sort of competitive dancing, um, somebody said, do you want to go for an audition? And so I did a little bit of acting when I was probably six uh, on TV in South Africa. That's where I was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. And um, from there, you know, I think the the interest was always there to perform and to, to be um, seen. I think that was the initial impulse. But I suffered a lot from stage fright. Um, and so I didn't really want to be on, on stage anymore. I think probably from about the age, cause I was a professional dancer, uh, even in my twenties, um, at university, I did a degree majoring in, uh, majoring in the arts and drama. And uh, that included dancing and physical theater, but I just realized I just didn't have the stomach for it. And so when I had the opportunity to just do what I wanted to do, but on camera, 
um, that that's when I really started to feel at home. Um, I was a casting director for a while and I, I, I was auditioning a lot of people kind of going, oh, these people are, some of them are getting work and I feel like I could do that. Um, so it was just a lot of getting over my nerves, which is why I often, you know, in um, when speaking to young people, because I speak to, you know, all kinds of people who are especially Riverdale fans, there's so many shy people out there who think they don't have it, you know, especially after these very destructive shows like X Factor and The Voice and whatever, you know, where you've had um, judges kind of go, well, if you haven't found your thing by 15, then you're never going to make it. That's absolute rubbish. Um, it took me a long time to get over my nerves. Um, and, you know, here I am at this stage kind of like really enjoying what I've achieved and being very comfortable in front of people and in front of the camera. Um, so yeah, everybody has their own, you know, their own speed at which they find their true calling, I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up, uh, you know, having stage fright and then ultimately overcoming that in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Did it help working in that that casting atmosphere or behind the scenes to acknowledge that I have nothing to truly be scared of outside of what's holding you know you back? Yeah. You know, it's it's quite an interesting study um, when you look at everybody who performs gets nervous, and and it was just wasn't a question that I'd asked as a kid. I assumed everybody else was fine, but everybody gets nervous whether they have to talk in front of people doing a presentation or like at university or anything like that. People people get nervous, and as soon as I realized that, that really helped me. And you know, and then jumping to um, in the last like five years, there's been so many celebrity deaths, right? And it's due to mixing medications and why were they taking medications a lot of people if you think like prince for instance um the artist previously known as uh he, you know it's you find out that these are incredible talents who suffered from debilitating anxiety and so they were taking medications to calm themselves down and calm their anxiety and un unfortunately got you know fatal concoctions that um that killed them and you kind of go oh you know this is all part of us talking about how we actually really feel which previously we were sort of taught to suppress and then when people are brave enough to actually talk about the, their truth you find out everybody is just trying to do their best and to appear confident you know <laughs> and I think in my case you know I was also just taught like fake it till you make it and one day you kind of go oh I actually do feel confident for this moment in this project and the next one I'll be terrified again <laughs> you know I'll just have to remember how I got to this point <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really interesting yeah I uh I will say I'm I'm 10 years into to being an actor myself and you look back on those, all those successes and they're great. And I completely agree. When you finish one, you feel so elated and, and comfy, get right into the next first day on set and you're immediately kind of doubting yourself. Should I be here? Should I do? Yeah, I did like acting. I took acting lessons and then I gave acting lessons as well. And one of the big things um, that I uh, that that stuck with me was, you know, one of the hardest things um, for all you, you know, nascent actors out there 
is to come onto set as a guest actor because when you're a guest or you're a day player, especially the day player is the hardest um, because you walk onto set or, um, yeah, I mean, it would be TV or film. And uh, especially if it's TV, everyone else there knows everyone else. They've been coming in every single day. Uh, the crew all know each other. The, the regular cast all know each other. And they've had time to get bored. And so boredom reads very well on camera. You know, that was another tip that was given to me by an acting coach. Be boring. Don't try to be interesting. Because as soon as you uh, look like you're trying to be interesting, you look like you're acting. And so, so be boring. And you, you know that the whole becoming bored or very relaxed is a is an incredible um, advantage. And then you have a young, um, possibly inexperienced actor coming onto set, and they have only one day to prove themselves. Um, they have one day to read the room, understand what's going on, understand the whole show, understand their role, and then hit their marks, do all the technical stuff, and remember their words, and be that character. Um, and it's very easy to just be completely overwhelmed, you know. Um, and so the thing that really stuck with me when I was learning uh, and teaching uh, acting was uh, the advice that was given by a top, top acting coach who said, you know, if you're ever in the privileged position of being a regular on a show or a lead in a film, that sort of thing, and you see that a new actor or a day player, a guest star, is struggling with their nerves, like they're forgetting their words or they're stumbling over their words, or you can just see that they're like nervous as hell. Um, what you can do is actually make some mistakes on purpose because no one's going to hold it against you. You're not going to get any flack from you know anybody because you're a regular and um, you get way more leeway. And then you're making the mistakes immediately help that person, that day player to just you know, okay, I don't have to be perfect. They're not perfect. I don't have to be perfect. I can just relax. And then, you know, it's 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 almost instant. You can you can see the change, and then the whole day goes better. And so, what I've learned over the years is, you know, if you are in the position of being lucky and confident, just pass it pass it on. You know, be generous, and give that other person a chance to just have their have their good day. You know, it, it'll only reflect well on you, and then they get to walk away going, wow, um, that was a really nice experience, and now I feel like I could do this again, as opposed to, you know, people who just go, I, I can never do that again, um, which, yeah, no one should ever feel. If they've gotten as far as getting landing the role, they've clearly got the, you know, they've got the skill. Yeah, you know what, I, you just, um, you struck something in me just now of, I've seen actors do that, uh, you know, series regulars and, you know, those who are, are doing that to make things kind of uh, lighten on set. But yeah. from, you know, from your point of view, when you went from uh, or not, you didn't go to and from, but you extended from being, you know, a performer into directing. Is there a way you found as a director to do that same thing without the the mistake portion of it? Do you have any way that you can relaxing your actor? Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, I think the thing is, you know, you have to understand how it works. So with TV versus film versus like your short film, if you were making a short film and it was your passion project, the, the difference is speed um, and, and also the amount of other people who are involved. So if you're doing your short film, you know everybody, they're all doing you favors, everybody's buddies probably already or most of the people are. And so the people who come onto your um, film, you can just be like chatty and relaxed with, you know, that's, that always helps. Um, 
And, you know, you can say to your actor, I've got you, you know, you just be you, you've already done it in the audition, or I've seen you do it before, just, you just have a great time, let them have a couple of goes, and then you can start to tweak, you know, but let them really like, just feel good, um, and, and relax into it. Re- relaxation is always better than tension when you're, when you're uh, in a creative process. Then when you get onto things like TV, especially in North America, it's like boom, 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 boom. So often everyone is just rushing to get their day. And that means they've got a schedule. Uh, you've got a certain amount of scenes that you have to get through and you have to be done by X time, especially in COVID, there was no overtime. And if you don't, then you look bad as a director. So often what you would find as an actor is that you would barely even speak to the director. They would literally just go like, just do what you did in the audition and action. And it's super intimidating. Um, And so I think the same thing, you know, as a director, if you are, and often you're not even on set, you're watching through a monitor um, in Video Village, which is, you know, not even near the actor sometimes. So (laughs) you'll get get sort of... um, day players sometimes who'll just come in and you can see they've just got that deer in the headlights look you know they've just been pushed into a stage onto a set they don't even know where anything is it's you know you can turn a corner and get completely lost in the darkness you could fall off a cliff for all anybody knew so you're like you know you've been pushed into the limelight and then someone's just going okay and we'll rehearse it once and action and you know best you don't miss your um forget your lines or miss your marks or whatever um and I think, you know, having been in those situations um, earlier in my career, what, what would have been amazing is just for the director to come to you and just say, hey, you got this. Hi, my name is, you know, you got this. You did an amazing audition. We love you. We love you for this role. You look fantastic. All of the things you kind of need to hear to settle you in and then introduce you to the cast, the people that you are acting with, because so often you don't get introduced you just walk in you know and go um and uh and then just taking you know the few minutes one minute sometimes to just do that so that um the actor feels like not everybody is staring at them going not very good um you know another thing as well and this again is for sort of people who are who are less experienced uh something that really helped me was when you walk onto a set whether it's uh tv or film um, so often you'll think that everyone is staring at you. You've got the camera people, the ca- whole camera department from the DP to the focus puller to the ca- camera operator, everyone's staring at you. You've got the lighting crew, everybody's staring at you. Director is staring at you. Um, then you've got the sound people, you know, they're all over you and, you know, putting the boom in, staring at you. The makeup people staring at you, the hair people staring at you until somebody finally tells you, they're not staring at you and judging your performance. They are all doing their jobs. So the camera people are staring at you because they're looking at the frame. And if they've got the right lens, the lighting people are looking on at how the light is hitting your face and how they want to adjust that. The makeup people are making sure your hair's, your, your, you know, your makeup is good and the hair people saying there's no like sort of hair sticking, whatever. So while they seem to be looking at you to judge you, they're not looking at your performance at all. They're just as worried about their jobs and making sure that they're checked off as like doing what they were hired to do. And then you can kind of go, oh, so of all 200 people who seem to be looking at me, really it's just the other person in the scene who needs my attention because they're listening for my words. Oh, (laughs) now I can relax. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really, really helpful as well. I think. 
Yeah. And to, get, to answer your question, yeah, as a director, I try to do that. I try to just be there when actors arrive and just go, hi, I'm Nat. This is your other people who are in your scene. Um, do you want to talk about anything? Got any questions at all? Um, let's just try one, you know, just play. And then from there, um, tweak it and uh, and do do the best you can to get your scene. Um, and then other th another thing that I've found is very, very useful um, as a director, especially if you're working with kids or, or, or less experienced actors, because they're so focused on the words um, and the words really aren't that important. It's the meaning behind the words. The best thing to do is to give them an action, you know, so... For instance, you have a little kid and they're sitting, eating, talking to their parents. And you, I've said like, okay, so your mission in this scene is to make sure you finish what you're drinking. So you've got a half a glass of juice. By the end of the scene, I want you to have finished that glass of juice. And so now instead of being like all in here, trying to remember the words and staring and like looking unnatural, Actually, all that kid is thinking about is the juice, you know, like to say something, juice, juice, it, uh, it's finished. Oh, good. I, I've, I've completed my mission. And then you'll watch that back and you'll see that that kid is not involved in, is not looking like they're acting. They're involved in what they're doing um, and which makes them look like they are being and being is good acting. Um, and they, and uh, it just reads really well because, you know, in reality, a child or anybody in a, if you take a step back in anything you do in your day, you are never just talking. You are doing something else. You know, you're, you're like, you're on the phone and you're wiping a surface, you know, or you're like talking to somebody and trying to tie your shoe. Um, you're, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And so, um, because we're always all uh, multitasking in, in one way or another, um, being busy is a great way to just look like you are being and then your performance is excellent you're boring you're boring because you're just being <laughs> and you're not standing still with an outlandish yeah. prop just to, to do <laughs> yeah. something oh, yeah. someone's given you a pen <laughs> like i mean i was in a soap opera in south africa and um, that was sort of one of my bigger breaks that taught me how to become like relaxed in front of the camera and uh you know it was one of the many many sort of eating scenes talking at dinner and uh, the director burst in and she was like, we give you props so you can use them to your food, you know, but like pour drinks, pork and cut and eat and mess around with your napkin, whatever. As soon as you do that, you look like you're involved in your own life. If you're just sitting there going, holding the fork because they gave you a fork, it doesn't look like you're involved in your life. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> Same way with like, you know, if you're wearing a wig, um, like people will say, play with your wig, you know, play with your hair because that's what you would do in normal life. You know, I mean, you saw how I was fiddling with my hair when we first started and I'm like, where's that? Like, while we're talking, that looks like, that look, it looks like I'm a real human. Whereas if, you know, you have some wig put on and you're moving like a robot, you're like, that's not your real hair. <laughs> You know, there's so many little things that help. Well, especially in uh, the co-star world. <laughs> I don't want to ruin anything. I, yes. I ripped I ripped an old-fashioned pair of pants on the last period piece I worked on. And luckily, I, I had black boxers underneath, so nobody <laughs> noticed. I didn't tell a soul because it's all time, 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 time. Nobody saw a thing. It was great. 
Yeah. But I, I totally agree. And I love the the juice direction that yeah. you gave. That is absolutely brilliant to take them out of their body. Yes, yes. And <laughs> out of your out of your like um your memory, your words memory, um uh crutch, because it's a crutch, right? You kind of like, I will be a good actor if I remember my words. Well, no, because when you are talking in real life, like if you you know, watch this interview back as as you will. Um, I will talk and then I will pause and think. And I'm not always staring at you. I actually, I'm especially me, Natalie, I do a lot of looking around and then reconnecting. And the reason that is, which is another, like I learned from an acting coach, is because we don't talk in paragraphs. Like we we learn them from, you know, the script that we're given. We actually talk in thoughts and ideas that we have. So, you know, you'll talky, 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 talk, pause as you think, probably look away because looking away or up is when you scroll through your memories and you're scrolling through your brain and then you remember something and then blah, 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 it comes out again, like in a little waterfall. Mm. Um, And so when you're looking at your script, you are, you're doing it according to how they've written it, which isn't actually necessarily the way you should do it, you know? Um, and if you don't have a lot of experience with that, you will think that you're a bad actor because you haven't presented it exactly as it was on the page. But remember, the writer is not the actor. So you sure get your words right, but also let them flow out of you the way sounds natural, you know? Absolutely. And you know what? With everything you've you've been saying so far during this interview, I, I'm really curious to find out why did you go into directing what was it about it that just pulled you in i find that's that's really interesting especially uh, you know as an actor beforehand and then getting into that what what was it about directing that just lit that spark yeah i mean i think that's got a lot to do with your creative control so um i came from a lot of time many years on a soap opera which was great fun but i was like i want to be a cinema actor i want to be a serious actor um and then I moved to New Zealand and there was like, I did District 9 and had some sort of successes and just did some really great roles, um, but there wasn't enough work to keep me um, busy. And so I started thinking about, you know, people say, we'll make your own and you always just, you know, that's easy to say, but how do you go about it? It's a, There's a lot of steps to make your own uh, content. And of course, now it's so much easier because we all have iPhones and we can all edit on our laptops and stuff. Um, At the time, I didn't have that. And I just wanted to know that for the amount of complaining that actors do in the green room, you know what I'm talking about. They simply complain about everything. They're not good enough. This isn't good enough. I hated that scene. Did you see how that all turned out? Like, just complain, complain, complain. Um, and I was like, yeah, and I was one of the complainers for sure. But then, you know, a little part of me kind of went, well, if you're not happy, see if you can do better, you know, stop complaining. Um, so the first thing that I did was I thought, well, let me see if I could write something. Could I write um, a short film? And luckily, like coincidentally, a friend of mine had already made a short film and she gave me this amazing short story called The Silk, 
um, which became my first short film. All of my um, films are at www.natboltdirector.com. You can find everything I talk about in this interview there, including the link to the Riverdale episode that I directed. Um, and she gave me this um, amazing story by um, an iconic New Zealand writer called Joy Cowley, whose feature film I'm now directing. It's coming up in... This year, um, Holy Days, is I then adapted one of her novels into a feature film. Um, and I can't say too much, but I've got an A-list cast and it's going to be amazing. Um, but so, yeah, that started with me going, can I write something? Can I write a short film? And I wrote a short film and it was incredibly hard. So hard. Just to adapt from something on the page in a book form into something on a page in a script form. It's a whole different skill. But I did it because I was so determined to just finish it, you know, um, which is a blessing I've realized. Like I'm very determined to finish what I start, even if what I started was completely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that film did very, very well. It got into all kinds of international film festivals and um, won awards, etc. Um, and even though it was really, really difficult, I was very humbled by how much work goes into making anything on the, that gets onto the screen. It's a miracle if anything makes it onto screen. And so, you know, once I was back on set as an actor, sitting in the green room with actors complaining, I would really kind of sit there going like, wow, you guys don't know the half of what it takes to, to get to this point where you're in front of the camera making this thing. So I kind of had the bug of going, I know about a secret world that you don't know about, and it makes me feel like more of an accomplished human being. The, the acting world can be incredibly superficial, um, and I also felt like I had more creative control when I made my film. And so that's pretty pretty much how that started. And, you know, now these days my advice to people who want to direct is um, don't, you don't even have to make a short film. How about you just write a scene, you know? Mm. Character A says this, character B says that. Make it one and a half pages, and it must have a beginning and middle and an end, and read through it and see if you like it. But get to the end. Don't give up halfway. You know, it's it's only one and a half pages, write it down. And since you're an actor, if you are an actor who started writing, you can read the characters out loud and see if it sounds right. And if you don't think it does, rewrite it and rewrite it until it sounds like something that you would like and wouldn't complain about in the green room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and then you can find another friend and you can just shoot it on your iPhones and you can edit it on iMovie or, you know, whatever your kind of like version of that is. Really simple stuff, edit it on your phone. And then see if it gives you a thrill. Maybe you hate it, you know. And if you hate it and you never want to go through that again, at least you know. But if you like it and it, it made you feel like you had some control over your life and you might want to tell a story through this, you know, um, then you've opened a whole door that you um, can supplement your acting life with by going, I don't have to worry about the next audition or the fact that I haven't got an audition or the fact that I wasn't cast in whatever. I have this whole other world that really satisfies me. 
and makes me feel like I have something to say. Because otherwise you're really just somebody else's puppet. And so often it's not satisfying, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what works for me. I love that. No, that it's a, such a beautiful way of putting it as well to, to supplement it and to not be a puppet, which yeah. every actor goes through when you're going through those periods of not booking or you book something and it's so quick. Yeah. And what, what's, and then it's, you know, what's next? Uh, it's never enough. You know, that's what yeah. I told you my other friend, my acting friends, even very accomplished people were like, it's never enough, is it? You know, and you, you see people who've got all the awards and they've done all the stuff and it's never enough for them either. So that's not a good state to be in. That's not a way to live. I mean, even my agent has said to me, actors are never satisfied. And I was like, yeah, I'm the first one to admit that. You always want more. Um, and so, yeah, in order to live a life that is filled with satisfaction, um, which honestly, if you think about it, that means a happy life. doesn't matter whether you're an actor or you're completely out of the industry, if you're in what, uh, you know, another industry, you just at the base of it, want to feel happy and to feel happy means to feel satisfied. Um, so whatever it is that you need to balance with, like find, find your balance that like makes a whole, otherwise you always feel like you're half. Um, and, uh, you know, with the acting world as well, even when you're doing incredibly well and you've had a great run, the thing is acting isn't like, a, isn't a stable trajectory. You know, it's always like this. And sometimes it's like this. You know, <laughs> um, and so there are there will always be down times, and you will always be um, you will always find that there are times when you are left waiting. And what do we know about waiting? It's torture, right? It's torture. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so find something to fill the waiting times. Yeah. yeah. What uh, what fills your your waiting time outside of directing outside of acting what outside of the industry keeps you emotionally creatively mentally satiated and happy um yeah thanks for asking that I mean that's the thing like I I fill my life with too much I'm generally run off my feet and that's my my problem my issue but what actually calms me down is um to be involved in the natural world so um you know if people follow me on Instagram I post all the time about um, saving old growth forests uh, all around the world, uh, especially where we are here in, in Canada, you know, where there's just been massacres of forests. Um, and, you know, being outspoken about climate and climate change is something I actually find I can't help myself doing. Like, even if I think like, okay, it's enough, stop, just concentrate on your work. I think anybody who is even vaguely connected to themselves. That means you breathe, you think, you feel, you might meditate, you might walk, walk you know, you, you might just sort of think more about who you are and, and what you are as a human. If you are like that, then you know we're in trouble, right? The world is really um, on a precipice and you can't ignore it. And you shouldn't, you know, like we can all fill our lives with superficial nonsense like sitting for hours on social media or buying rubbish that just ends up in a landfill or you know there's all that stuff that we've been given to distract us so we don't get involved well you should get involved and for me that means like on a small scale I uh, 
I have a, I'm very blessed to have a garden. And so I get involved with like how amazing that is and what I can do to kind of like even attract pollinators, birds and bees and butterflies because they need help. And then on a greater scale to like really sort of get involved with um, groups that fight to protect forests, that fight to protect clean water, the ocean, uh, and, and and protect the environments that support um, biodiversity because we are going through, you know, a massive biodiversity loss of the sixth great extinction. Um, and so I try to be a voice I try to be one of the voices for the voiceless. And um, that is completely different to the, the, the entertainment industry. The entertainment industry is a giant distraction, but it is also part of who we are as humans. We're storytellers and we are communicators. You know, like what you're doing with this podcast, people need to communicate. They need to hear what other people are doing. They need to feel involved. They need to find their tribe. These are all very good things. But to sit in front of the TV or in front of like whatever entertains you and ignore what's going on outside, not only is it bad for the outside world, but it disconnects you from the natural world. And that is the number one problem for human beings as far as I am concerned. Mm. Um, that's where anxiety comes from. That's where depression comes from. It's where, you know, uh, so many of the mental health issues that are massive in the world come from it's because we actually don't know where we sit in the bigger picture we're mm. isolated you know um and so the remedy for that is to find your find your your environment that supports you just as on the tiniest scale a bee needs its environment to feel normal you me every single human needs to feel normal um, and that does not mean cutting yourself off. That's very, very bad for people. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that you brought that up and that you're so passionate about that. And the at least the last, let's say, five years or so, I feel like more and more uh, folks who are in the entertainment industry are giving that that voice to, you know, the climate crisis and environmental change and really, you know, the a great marketing strategy to get more people to talk about that is to have those who they see on their screens every yeah. single day uh, to bring it up as well. And I usually save this question um, for the the very last part of the, the episode, but uh, it'd be a great time now if you have any organizations or uh, charities that you really believe in that I could put in the show notes for a shout out and a promotion as well. Absolutely. Um, so who I support because I've uh, checked them out and I know they're legit. Um, in Canada, I support the Endangered Ecosystem Alliance. They are a small group who basically lobby uh, changes in government, and that's what we need. We need government to really wake up and change things. So the Endangered Ecosystem Alliance, they're connected to the Ancient Forest Alliance. Um, and these that is a Canadian group who have been fighting for, we, you know, we're so blessed here to have like 1,200-year-old trees that are just being cut down. Um, and have been for decades. It's a very complex issue, but they understand the um, the nuances around it all, and they just need help. They just need they need support, and they need voices. And if you can afford it, they need donations. Um, 
further afield, I've always, well, not always, but since I've had a voice um, on social media, I've supported the Orangutan Project, mm. so T-O-P for short. They support, it's like an umbrella um, organization that supports uh, protecting rainforests in Indonesia. Um, I went down, you know, to Borneo and uh, Sumatra around there. That is absolutely critical that um, we, again, we need to, we need to save those environments so the, so the, so the uh, biodiversity within the environments is safe. You know, saving a species is one thing, but saving its environment means you save all the species that, that rely on that environment. You save so many more. So the orangutan project is a brilliant one to, to support. Um, and then only one. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador of only one, which um, does huge missions to clean the ocean. Um, and they're, yeah, they're very prevalent and very organized. I mean, we've all seen those horror um, videos of just, you know, mountains of garbage uh, that we call landfills, which are not filling anything. They're all going up, you know, and then, of course, the horrific amount of plastic that ends up on, you know, islands and shores and places that it didn't even create it. Um, and then here in Canada, there's um, a friend of mine, my, my neighbor actually called uh, the Ocean Legacy. And they're the ones pulling out ghost nets that trap all kinds of um, marine species from dolphins to um, turtles to whales uh, that kill inadvertently because they're dumped out in the ocean. Um, along with other plastic garbage. And um, the Ocean Legacy pulls all of that stuff out uh, and recycles it into usable lumber, plastic lumber, or into usable items, um, plastic boats. They have an incredible, like it's a full circle, get the plastic out of the ocean, turn it into usable um, elements, smaller particles, and then turn that into whatever you need. Um, zero waste basically you know so those are those are the ones i'll mention today um and you know the the idea is always to to first do no harm um and to create like a closed cycle of if i pick this up today where's it going to go you know um so in that sense just to be like just to really think as a consumer what you're doing each day you know, just next time you go and grab a coffee, do you really need that plastic cup? Do you really need that plastic lid? Could you be bringing your own? Or could you just, you know, if you really want a cup of coffee, could you take the paper one without the sleeve, without the lid, and then put it in a paper recycle, you know? Um, it's so easy to just turn your brain off and chuck it. But if you think of, like, what's the next step for that item? <laughs> it becomes really sad and depressing when you just think, well, that water bottle that you just chucked, um, that is now going to be somewhere either floating in the ocean or inside a landfill, not, um, not biodegrading for a thousand or more years, a thousand or more years. Oh my God. You know, yeah. So um, yeah, all of that. That, and it's honestly, it's the truest horror i could ever imagine yeah know? and we're in it you know we are yeah. well um and so you know as consumers we can make a huge difference if we just say no i'm not buying that you know 
um, you know, that might just be me or you, but a thousand me or you's and then a hundred thousand and then a hundred million, then the product folds, the company goes out of, out of um, business. And yes, that's what you want. You want the ones staying in business who have actually thought about the bigger picture, you know, yeah. whether it's textiles and microplastics and all of those things, whether it's toxins, um, yeah, one of my big missions, I'm actually speaking to government um, next week, is around the spraying of, of pesticides that's done in North America. Um, there is a, 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 to, a, a horrific toxin called glyphosate, which is in, um, the common name is Roundup. Oh, and, no. Okay. Yeah, and it, and it destroys the human gut. So we know now that um, our gut is our uh, second brain, and that's actually our bigger brain. And it's where all our feel-good stuff comes from. You know, it's uh, serotonin and dopamine is all kind of like either introduced or preempted by the gut. Mm -hmm. And if you're eating things sprayed in glyphosate, which about 90% of grains and fruit are, you're basically destroying not only your health, but you're you're destroying your wellness, your feel-good. Um, and it's just been like an explosion of, um, of problems. Uh, we have it in my own family, and the more research research I do, the more it just uh, it's just gobsmacking, you know. So glyphosate has to be banned, um, and you know for that reason, eat organic, eat organic, and support the local producers near you who produce organic food. Yeah, you you just there's no question. It's I... you will think at some point <laughs> yeah you know uh, you would think after i think I, I worked in a produce department for two years in college and never once knew about any of that oh my goodness yeah it was wow. like it's so dark it was something that was discovered in in um, chemical warfare and was then like oh but we could use this for uh food oh god of course <laughs> that's the go-to Yes. Oh, sorry. And just, um, I won't overload you. This is my last suggestion is follow an amazing um, doctor called Dr. Zach Bush. And he will reiterate all the things that I've just told you. Um, a brilliant mind. And he's someone who's now being consulted by governments as to like, what do we do? How do we get, how do we get better? Um, Dr. Zach Bush. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Oh, thank you for that. No, it, 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 it was a great overload because usually somebody says, one thing oh okay but this uh, it's so much pivotal information no i really appreciate it <laughs> trying, to cover, trying to cover um forests oceans yeah. soil air <laughs> hey and they're all incredible organizations you know if, you, if you're following them and you support them like i can't wait to to dive into that as well um oh, thanks so much it really gives it a, a very awkward segue too because we're going for something that's very real and something that should be addressed and cared about into <laughs> the goofiest question i have on this show and that's if you have a party story you could share with our listeners. So something that's occurred throughout your career, uh, it's usually something pretty funny. It could also be uh, a little scary, could just be <laughs> outlandish, um, just an you experience mean, you had. Partying, like parting or party story, like uh, an it, and this is what I did at a party. Uh, it's more of a story you would tell at a party. So uh, something, uh, so for me, my go-to is always my first trip to Sundance to promote a film and something I experienced there that uh, it was just a really crazy and made me realize, oh, this is Hollywood and it's very, very insane. Uh, but just, you know, something that 
maybe stood up, maybe you were, you were starstruck. Maybe the first time you were directing and something happened yeah. or, you know, yeah. just uh, maybe your experience working on the film Doomsday that I happen to be, be a really uh, big fan of. Really? Uh, yeah, it could be anything. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Doomsday. Um, that was with, with Neil Marshall. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, do I have a story about Doomsday? Oh, well, I mean, I got to meet Bob Hoskins, who was like, you know, like just a total hero at the time. But no, that's not an interesting story. I think interesting <laughs> Story would be, I mean, this isn't an, isn't an embarrassing story. It's more like um, a Riverdale story that was quite bizarre. So, um, you know, as people who know me from that show uh, know, Madeleine Pitch plays my daughter. And, you know, in the story, it's sort of she plays Cheryl and I play Penelope and I'm a terrible mother and all I do is torture her. Um, but we were sitting together and here's the thing. I had been speaking in an American accent for the entirety of the first part of the season one of Riverdale because I um, was too scared to admit to anybody that I wasn't American. I thought like I just would, if I popped out of the accent, I wouldn't be able to get back in again and, you know, people would laugh at me. Um, because the lead of the show, KJ Appa, who plays Archie, you know, he's a Kiwi, he's a New Zealander, and he could just like pop in and out. He would just be like, oh, I'm Kiwi. Oh, I'm American. And he could do that. And I was like, damn it, why can't I do that? And so to get to, like to get good at it, I just stayed in an American accent the whole time. And I was sitting there and Madeleine said she was actually born in South Africa. And I went, what? Don't lie. Um, and she's like, yeah, my parents are South African. And I was like, and then I dropped the accent and I was like, okay, guys, I've got to tell you, I am not American. I am South African. And she kind of went, what? you sound like my real mum. And I was like, what? And so she played me like, I, you played me like a clip with her real mum. And, and I, we, we were like, this is ridiculous. Um, so I'm actually, I was cast as your mum in Canada on an American show, but actually we're both from the same country. And, and that's interesting, but it gets much more interesting because she sort of, she said to me, um, I said, what part of South Africa are you from? And she mentioned this place called Rustler's Valley, which is only known by word of mouth. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's kind of like backpackers only get to go to this place if somebody has told them and somebody tells you how to find the map. That's what Rustler's Valley is in South Africa. And it's not only a place that like my friends and I took huge pride in knowing about, but it's where I met my husband and it's where we fell in love and we are still married 23 years later. So I was like, she said to me, do you know Rustler's Valley? And I was like, why would you say that? And she said, that's, it's my family owned Rustler's Valley. And I was like, it was just one of those, oh, just, you're lying. Like you've got it, you've been, there's been microphones, there's been, you know, CCTV cameras on me. Like you've been, you've been spying on my life. How would you know this? And she said, I was the little girl um, and when I was six years old, before we left South Africa and moved to America, I was like this funny little hippie kid with long red hair down to my bum. And I would always wear these rainbow skirts and I would toil around on the dance floor where like this very sort of like secret um, word of mouth party used to gather. And we would like, you know, have these amazing secret parties. And I just like stopped and went cold. And I kind of went, I saw you. I remember, it gives me goosies now. I remember. 20 years ago, when you would have been six or five, um, this little red-haired girl twirling around on the dance floor near me, and, and I, 
like I only sort of half remembered, but it was very clear in another memory, which was a local person there said, I'm making a, a book where the hero is this little red haired sort of pixie. And she took me into her studio and showed me that 20 years ago. And, and uh, Madeleine said, that was me. So we met in the weirdest way, in the most secret, out of the way, random, unlikely place 20 years before we were cast as mother and daughter on Riverdale. Weird, right? That is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, well, something brought us together. It was obviously written in the stars somewhere. Isn't it crazy how the universe works? <laughs> too crazy. Like that was too, too crazy. They, do, they were just like, how, what are the chances? You know, less oh. than zero, zero, zero point one percent. Yeah. It sounds like something somebody wrote into a film. You know, it couldn't believe it if it was in a film, you'd just be like, this is silly. Yeah. <laughs> this would never happen. <laughs> that is a fantastic party story. Thank you for that. Uh it, yeah, it just kind of threw me off a little bit thinking about how far back that yeah, 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 hang on. This click 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 click. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> that yeah. that is bonkers. Um yeah, no, I I, I absolutely love that. Um I have no words for it. <laughs> it was just really I was I was fully hooked the entire time. And I just posted my I posted I just posted my last um uh scene of Riverdale um on my Instagram where I say goodbye after seven seasons, you know, and then um Madeleine comes sort of running out to give me a, a hug with all her like red hair flowing. We were like, you know, bye. <laughs> and it's quite it, you know, people have commented it's so kind of it's so moving. Um and and it's moving for more reasons than they even realize. And then I've just shared with you. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I absolutely love it. I um I think I'm out of all my we've gone way over time. So I apologize for that. But uh I'm officially out <laughs> of official questions. <laughs> uh I have one last thing for us to do. Uh and it's our awkward goodbye. But I do want to <laughs> thank you for your time and just the the amount of energy you put into this, which is great because Sometimes, you know, when you do a podcast, it's, you know, just kind of here or there. This was an absolute blast. I just want to say. I had a blast too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. This goodbye is really awkward. Uh, you first. No, I'll go first. Uh, let's talk at the same time. Oh, oh. bye. Yeah. Bye. Should we, should we, should we yeah, talk? talk later? <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it okay? Those glasses are killer, by the way. <laughs> are they? Are they really, though? Um, yeah. Okay, now I'm embarrassed. I don't know what to do with my glasses. <laughs> <laughs>